welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. It's good to see each of you here today, be able to come together and, and worship the Lord. If you want to open your Bibles uh, with me to Genesis uh, chapter 30. We're actually going to be beginning in the, the last part of chapter 29. We've been in the last uh, couple of weeks looking at uh, Jacob and his journeys. Talked about the fact that the Lord is bringing uh, him on a training program and his life is basically leading him to, uh, to trust him, trust God. And we'll see that continuing in this section. I've, I've entitled the, the message of Family Wars. Uh, I was reading one... Um, one commentator that entitled it uh, Baby Wars. <laughs> but, but I think Family Wars uh, kind of sums it up for us, and it, it does help us to relate it to our own, our own families. And um, though uh, hopefully none of you have uh, family problems like Jacob did, uh, we all experience problems, don't we, with relationships and uh, all of the things that are common to... Um, uh, to man, and so we <clears throat> we have to trust God in those as well. And the Lord many times takes us along a training journey to teach us to trust Him. Well, this section, uh, beginning we're looking this morning in uh, verse 31 from chapter 29, uh, it would have been a very uh, very interesting to the nation of Israel. Um, as most of you will know, the, the name Israel comes from Jacob, who the Lord changes his name later to, to be Israel. And these uh, tribes uh, come from the 12 sons of Jacob. <clears throat> and, uh, and so we, we see here the, the beginning of these, uh, these tribes, tribes of Israel. And for the nation of Israel, they would have had great interest in this account of uh, how they came into being, their genealogy. But we have here more than just a genealogy. We have the, the real life events of what took place. And as, as Moses was writing this record, uh, it's, uh, as we see, it's not a whitewashed version of the record of what happened. He gives us, the Lord gives us the ugliness of the fallen condition of uh, Jacob and his wives. Uh, by the time Moses writes this record, it's about 500 years later. The children of Israel are uh, waiting to go into the promised land. They're in the wilderness at some point when he, when he writes. And, uh, and the Lord is... Um, giving them this record. Uh, although they would have heard a lot of this detail by uh, verbal passing on these stories, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they would have heard the, the stories many times, no doubt. And the stories would have been told and retold. And I can imagine that uh, a lot of the negative elements of these accounts would have been left out. 
uh, because that's in our nature to do that, isn't it? <laughs> we like to present ourselves in a, in a positive way. And if you go back and look at your genealogy far enough, you'll probably find some things that you didn't want to know about <laughs> and that no one else wanted you to know about, so it didn't get told. It didn't get passed on. But uh, God has given His revelation, and we can see uh, God's hand in it um, because he doesn't, he doesn't give the record like we would have, like uh, the children of Israel would have recorded their record because they would like to think of themselves in a, in a positive way. They, they would like to think back on their great, 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 however far back grandfather Jacob as a, you know, this really, you know, a person that we can build our life on and we can, you know, use him as an example. He was our hero. And they would like to think that's why God chose them as a nation, because they were, you know, wonderful people. But the reality is, um, God gives the record in such a way that Israel, they should have been led to, to see themselves in humility and wondering at the grace of God, because God chose them. And uh, in spite of who they were, who their, who their, um, their forefathers were, and it's the same grace of God that's called us. It's the same grace that saves us, not because we were worthy or by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His own mercy, He has saved us. And so we, we like um, uh, Jacob's descendants, can rejoice in the grace and mercy of God. Well, as you read this account you're, uh, of Jacob's family, you're confronted with the, with the reality that uh, their, their family situation is in a mess. I mean, they uh, have Jacob now. We've seen that he's not, he's not centering his life on submission to the Lord and doing things God's way. He's just, he's just kind of, you know, trying to use his own wit, his own cunning, his own deception to, to make things happen for him. Uh, he's not been seeking God's will. And now he has these two wives. And we see jealousy. We see envy, selfish ambition, resentment and strife and fighting and, and just what a mess. And I imagine Jacob's thinking, how did I ever get into this situation? <laughs> but he's there. And... Uh, Today, we, it might be rare for us to, to know families that have multiple wives, but it's common for us, either in our own family or in families we know, to see all these same kinds of attitudes and problems. We live in a different time, but we still have the fallen condition, don't we? We, we, we still uh, have these issues of jealousy and envy and strife and resentment and all of that and our only real hope is this only hope that is anyone has is in Christ he is, he is our hope and it's not enough to um, to just have a casual a casual recognition of God or Christ uh, that's what we see in Jacob's family as we get into to this account you'll see that they they gave God lip service. They named children after God this or God did that. 
But we don't really see them, for the most part, trusting God, calling upon Him, putting their hope in Him. And so we, if we're going to have families that uh, know the joy of the Lord and the peace of God, we, we each member of the family needs to submit themselves fully to the Lord to, to follow Him and live for Him. Let's read together. And I just want to read the, the whole section from verse uh, 31, chapter 29 and verse 31. And we'll just read, read it and then come back. Verse 31, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard I am that I was hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and, and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing Chapter 30, verse 1, And when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhad. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, and that even I uh, may have children through her. So she gave, her, uh, gave, gave him her servant Bilhad as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhad conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged me and has also, has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's servant Bilhad conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With mighty wrestling I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. And so she called his name Naphtali. And when Leah saw that, uh, that she had ceased bearing children, she took uh, her servant Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so I shall call his name Gad. And Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. And in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, That then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. 
And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth, fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterward she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to this passage. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to see what you're doing in the lives of this family. And may, Father, it help us to trust you and to see ourselves in ways that we have attitudes and actions that are not pleasing to you. We might learn to rest and trust in you. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in this section we read, we see like bookends the statement, God opened her womb. And the first uh, statement is made with Leah, and then at the end it's made with Rachel. And although these sisters are battling with one another and competing with one another uh, over who has the most children and affection for for Jacob God is sovereign over all of its happening he's sovereign in every area of life and it's demonstrated in this account with the giving and the withholding of children and uh, as we said before as as God is leading uh, Jacob on this training program or process this journey he's also working in the lives of these sisters, of Jacob and Leah, that they might also trust the Lord. Notice uh, verse 31 again, chapter 29, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. The statement there that Leah was hated, the, the context suggests that it doesn't mean hated in the, in the literal sense of the word, but that in contrast to Jacob's love for Rachel, Leah was neglected and, and unloved. And uh, we see in verse 30, if you back up there, a verse that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And so this uh, preference creates even more of a, a, a more of tension and, uh, and problems between these two sisters. No doubt it was already there, especially since Leah deceived um, uh, deceived Jacob and, and took her place uh, on, on the wedding night. But uh, now with Jacob preferring her, that's just created more problems. And, and in the name of the ch- naming of their children, uh, we see that, that Leah is desperate for the love of Jacob, and Rachel is desperate for children. And she's trying to hold on to, the, to, to this favor and the, and the power that she has in the, in the family situation. 
In Jacob, we see him, instead of taking the lead and um, in, in leading his family, he, his approach seems to be more of just passive approach and letting, letting these uh, wives just do whatever they want to do, and he just seems to go along with whatever they come up with. You see, Jacob hasn't yet learned to trust God, and so he cannot lead his family to trust God. You've heard the you've heard the the, the saying, "Happy wife, happy life." <laughs> well, Jacob is finding that keeping two wives happy is an impossible task for him, and uh, so he's just uh, no doubt um, uh, struggling with this uh, situation. And we see Jacob, although he was deceived into taking Leah, he also chose to take Rachel as a, as a second wife, and now he's, he's living with the consequences uh, of his decisions. And we, we've seen his decisions as that which is doing things his own way. He, he really hasn't uh, allowed God to lead him and guide him. He hasn't been seeking God. We haven't seen praying and, and asking God for wisdom and direction and, and, and to enable him to, um, to, to follow, follow God. Um, we see from Genesis, from the beginning, God's plan for the marriage. Listen to verse 24, chapter 2, Genesis, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that's, that's God's design for us, uh, for all, and especially for His children. And the Scripture is consistent in showing that there's hard consequences in the life when we ignore His way and do things our own way. It, it doesn't mean that we can't be forgiven, but uh, many times we, we find even, even though we're forgiven, we still have some hard consequences to deal with in life. Well, let's notice first of all Leah and her longing to be loved. Her longing to be loved by her husband was a good thing. It's, a, it's a, an expected thing. But even good things, even good desires, uh, can become an idol in our heart when they're not submitted to the Lord and His will. And that's what we see happening here with, with Leah. Uh, God does see her situation. He's, he does look upon her and realize that she is... Um, uh, hated, the scripture literally says there, uses the word hated. A lot of your translations will say unloved because that is the, the sense that's uh, understood there of, of the word. And the Lord blesses her and gives her four sons. And uh, her first son, she named Reuben, which means look, a son. And in verse 32, she says, Because the Lord had looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So you can see in that statement that uh, she's just longing for this affection and attention. And uh, she thinks that now by giving, uh, giving Jacob a son, that that will uh, change his attitude towards her and he will love her. And uh, her second son was born, Simeon. It sounds like the Hebrew word for herd. Um, 
And so not only has God seen her, but he's heard her. No doubt she's been praying, been asking God for a child. And um, we see that, that that trust in God is, is comes and goes sometimes in these in these individuals. But but she has acknowledged that God has heard her. God has seen her and God has heard her. It kind of reminds us of Hagar. If you go back to, to the slave Hagar and her son, as she flees into the wilderness, God sees and God hears. And whatever your situation is, you may think that God doesn't know about it or God's forgotten about you, but God sees and God hears and God is blesses uh, Leah with children. The, the first... Uh, First four here, and the, the next son, Levi, which was named for the, sounds like the word attached. And uh, she's, her, it's a lesser desire than love, but she's still hopeful here in naming of this, this son. And then we see with the, with, by the time the fourth son comes, uh, Leah seems to um, have uh, rested in the provision of the Lord. Because she names him Judah, which sounds like the word for praise. And there, there in chapter 29, verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And so over, the, over this process of time, she's been, or has been blessing her. She's been hoping that this is going to result in, in Jacob loving her, but she, she's not... She's not finding that um, it's working out the way she had hoped. And so with this fourth son, she's really turned her attention to God and just names him praise. Praising the Lord. That's a good place to start, isn't it? And many times we, we struggle to get there to where we genuinely praise the Lord. Many times we're looking for something else, something greater, than the Lord and His pleasure in our life. And so, but Leah, Leah seems to be there at that place. Verse 35, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called His name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Well, the Lord is, as I've said, is also at work in our lives to grow us, to change us, so that we would be content in Him, so that we could rest in Him. Uh, I thought about Philippians chapter 4 as uh, thinking about this thought. Philippians 4, if you'd like to look there, I just want to read a couple of verses from verse 11. But in Philippians 4, Paul is he's in, imprisoned. And uh, this church at Philippi had cared for his needs, had sent, uh, uh, sent provisions. And he's thanking them for their care that they were able to send. And from verse 11, he says, Now not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you notice in that statement, Paul, even Paul says he, he had to learn to be content. He's learned contentment. And so it's not something that just comes natural to us. 
it's also not a not just an academic exercise where something you learn because you read it or you someone told you about it. It's something that you experience through the ups and downs of life in trusting God. In pr- the practice of trusting God's God in the difficult times and in the good times. And Paul is saying he had had learned the secret It's not that God's trying to keep it from us, but that many don't learn it because they don't trust God. And the initiation into this secret is many times the difficulties and trials in life. When we go through those times and trust God and have faith in Him, in secular use of this word, the Greek word that's translated content or contentment, it meant to be self-sufficient. When someone felt like you know they could they could handle it, they had everything they needed. In in the in the secular use of the word, it was it was this word was used. But as you see, the way Paul uses it, he says that his sufficiency. He is sufficient. He's self-sufficient, but his sufficiency comes through God who strengthens him. Notice the last phrase there in verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so as believers, our sufficiency, our contentment comes not through our ability, but through the enablement of God and his working in our lives to strengthen us, to help us. And Paul makes the point that it's, it's in the good and in the bad. There's danger on both ends of that extreme, isn't there? When we have plenty, our tendency is to, to not trust God, to, to just go our own way. When we have little, um, we tend, to, we tend to look to God, but if we can also become discouraged, can't we? When we don't get the answers we want when we want them. And so uh, we need to keep, keep trusting God and trusting His provision and His enablement through the difficult times that we may go through. Well, <clears throat> on, that, on that note, though, I, I want to say that... Um, Trusting in God, it doesn't mean that we, we don't work and pray to try to improve our circumstances. It doesn't, contentment doesn't mean that we just say, okay, well, this is just you know, my lot. <laughs> no, God, God wants us to trust Him, to pray. It's certainly right to ask for things, but even in our asking, we must ask, Lord, Your will be done, right? And, and we can work. If we don't have a job, it's right for us to go look for work and try to, try to find work. or to Whatever the situation is, it's right to try to improve our situation. But in our efforts, we still need to acknowledge God and to say, Lord, your will be done. And that's what was missing, I believe, in, the, in a lot of uh, what we see here in this passage. Well, secondly, we see, the, we see Rachel. And her longing for children. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, Give me children or I die. 
And so we see this envy. Although she was the preferred uh, wife, had seemingly had everything, but children. And that, that caused her to envy her sister now who has had four children. And, um, but she's not able to become pregnant. And there's a, you've heard the, the envy referred to as the green-eyed monster. <laughs> well, I can understand the monster part. I'm not quite sure about the green part. Some, some people say it's because, you, you know, green's kind of a sickly, you know, color. And maybe, you know, you, it makes you sick. And uh, it can, envy and other sins can make you physically sick. It can certainly make you a monster <laughs> in many ways. If you allow it to harbor in your in your heart, and so Rachel, she needed to learn to trust God. Her her desire for for children had become an idol in her heart, also. And her envy of Leah had, had seems to have just consumed her, and uh, she could not even enjoy what she had. And she even becomes bitter against Jacob, demanding that Jacob give her children. And can't you just hear Jacob saying, well, who do you think I am? You know, am I in the place of God that has kept uh, you from, from uh, having children? And so Rachel then resorts to this pagan practice of having a child by a sur surrogate slave woman. And uh, so she would have no doubt been aware of the history of Sarah giving, uh, giving Hagar to Abraham and the problems that that resulted in their lives. She no doubt knew that it wasn't God's will, uh, wasn't God's plan for marriage, but it, it didn't seem to matter. This idol had become so powerful in her heart that she didn't care, and she, so she, she falls back on the pagan practice of the handmaid and so she gives to uh to jacob bilhad and and bilhad has two children dan and naphtali and dan uh, has uh, this idea of, of being vindicated or judged and so she determined that by, by giving having the child through the surrogate slave then god had vindicated her uh, with her struggle and the and the word naphtali is based on this word wrestling and she's been she's been battling it out with her sister over affection and uh, for children and so she thinks feels like she's kind of getting the upper hand now she's had two two children through this handmaid well leah's not going to be outdone and so she responds in kind and gives jacob her slave uh, zilpha to be, uh, to be Jacob's uh, uh, wife in the sense of giving, giving uh, children through her. And the Lord gives, gives uh, Zilpha two children, Gad and Asher. And Gad sounding like the word fortune, and uh, Asher sounding like the word for happy. She's now happy again. She's, uh, she's got the upper hand again over her sister. And way ahead now with... Uh, with her four and uh, and, the, and the handmaids two, she's got six against just two, you know. So she's winning, and this warring seems to intensify from verse fourteen, 
and I can't imagine the, the living in this kind of environment, but um, uh, Rachel and Leah both seem to, to believe or put some, some credit to this pagan superstition that mandrakes have a, some type of uh, power of fertility, like a, like a love potion or, or something. And uh, Leah uses that belief to bargain with Rachel for a night with Jacob. And it would seem to imply that uh, Rachel had used her favored position to uh, keep Jacob from going into Leah. And so what a, what a mess, what a mess. And so now they're now bargaining like a, you know, over, a, you know, gambling over a chip or something or, or you know, winnings. Who can, who can win the night with Jacob? And uh, so... She, uh, <clears throat> Leah, though, we see the, the potion doesn't work. Instead of Rachel becoming pregnant, Leah has two more, uh, three more children, two more sons and a daughter. And uh, she names Issachar, uh, names the son Issachar, which sounds like the word for wages, and Zebulun, which sounds like the word for honor. And so we see her... Um, her desire going from being loved, she seems to have kind of given up on that hope, but, but at least she'll be honored. She'll receive honor. And so she names Zebulun honor. And some of the translations give to dwell with her, her desire that he would dwell with her. But um, it, it would seem that um, honor is a, is a preferred translation there. Verse 20 says, And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment in my now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And God did uh, gift Leah and honor her to be a mother of, of six of the, of, the, of the tribes of Israel. And from Levi in Judah, you'll, you'll remember, was the priestly tribe and the kingly pride, tribe. And ultimately would come Christ, the Messiah. And so she was truly, truly blessed. And she speaks of an endowment or a gift that, that had been given. We also have the mention there of, of the daughter Dinah. There, there may have been other, other daughters, but she seems to be mentioned because of what's coming up in the next chapters. Well, attention is drawn back to, to Rachel. And it does seem that Rachel is brought to a place of humility. Uh, we, she doesn't seem to be conniving and trying to manipulate the situation at this point. And uh, she's in this culture in particular. It was, a, it was a humbling thing to not have children. I mean, that was bad enough. But now with this in being intensified by her sister having so many sons, and uh, she's brought to this place that um, uh, verse 22, chapter 30, verse 22 says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. So she is praying. She is calling out to God. And uh, she <clears throat> says, Conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. See, God had not forgotten her. Uh, the phrase God remembered doesn't imply that God had forgotten or even could forget. It's not 
he's not capable of forgetting. But it, it's, it's a way of saying that God is ready to act uh, in the situation. And God was ready to act on her behalf. And she gives, gives him this son, and she names him Joseph, which means may he add. In other words, may God add another. And we know that, that God does add another uh, son to her at her death as they come back into the land of promise. It also sounds like the Hebrew word for taken away. And so both of those uh, names are, are come in, or both of those meanings come into this word because God had taken away her, um, her shame, or I think as the text uh, says, had taken away my reproach. And so we see both of those ideas there. Well, what, is, what does all this mean for us? morning we must acknowledge that the family whatever difficulties may have in the family the family is the gift of God and it it, though it, it does require work many times all relationships require work but for us as believers uh, when we submit ourselves to God when we trust him he, he enables us and gives us grace to, to navigate life and this, the relationships that we have. And it's particularly important within the family that we, we submit our family relationships to the Lord. And men, that you would lead your, lead your families to trust God through all the problems, through all the difficulties. And we, we see that um, if we just default to our flesh, the desires of the flesh, then we're going to experience some of the same heart problems, some of the same failures that Jacob and his family, the sins of the, of the heart like jealousy and envy and resentment and selfishness and selfish ambition and strife and contention and all of those things. And we can, we can become stubborn and resentful and say, well, it's their fault, and I'm never going to speak to them again, and, and, and all of those kind of things with our relatives, and they probably deserve it, but that's not the point, is it? God has called us to a different standard. He's called us to be people of the book, people that love Him and follow Him. And He enables us with His grace when we stop doing things our way and turn to Him in faith and humility and trust Him and ask Him to forgive us, ask others to forgive us, and um, allow the grace of God to be seen in through our lives. Well, Christ came for the purpose that we might have peace. In this family, we see family wars. And there may be some relationships in your life today as you think about, think about it and you say, well, there's just no peace there. God came that we would have peace. He came first of all, so that we could have peace with God, so that we could be saved, so we could have, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we could have life and have peace with God. Matthew 11, verse 28, 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and he's thinking, he's talking about in the context, the background of all of these religious leaders, and all the weight is put upon people. You must do this. You mustn't do that. 
And Christ is saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So you may be here this morning and you don't have rest in your heart because you don't know Christ. You You haven't received His forgiveness. And from God's perspective, you are an enemy of Christ. But God loved us even when we were enemies and died for us even when we were enemies and if you'll come to him in faith he will forgive you and he will bring you into a relationship with himself and you can know the peace of god christ also came not only to to give us peace that we could have peace with god but that we could have the peace of god in in daily walking with him in fellowship with him we can learn in, the, in the walking with Him to be content in His provision. We can repent and turn from the, the idols of our heart and say, Lord, You're more important to me than anything. I want Your will. I, I'm, I want to obey You. I want to follow You more than anything. And submit that to God. And God allows us to know His peace. That we might rest in Him. And I pray that for you this morning. Father, we come before you acknowledging, Lord, that we too, like Jacob and Rachel and Leah, we we often struggle with idols in our own heart, things that we want so badly. And sometimes they're good things even. But we want them more than we want you. Father, it becomes... Uh, stumbling block in our life it becomes a hindrance to to knowing your peace and joy and so I pray father that we might come this morning and and humbly confess those and submit those to you and commit ourselves father to living as one that belongs to you and forgiving one another loving others putting others first Uh, confessing our own sins, turning from our own selfishness. Lord, make us a people that, uh, that, that know you and that walk with you in faith. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our um, closing hymn, uh, I want us to be able to, to share in the elements of the, of the Lord's table this morning. And so I want to ask Friek and Kevin to come and... Uh, and give those give those out we um, we invite you to take part in those if you're a believer this morning you're you're, you're walking with the lord and um, trusted him we invite you to uh, take of the of the bread and the juice and they are uh, they they are a memorial they're a reminder of what the lord jesus christ has done for us um while they're, while they're giving those out and uh, you're taking of those, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 6. And you'll remember this passage. It's a long passage uh, where Jesus is talking about Himself as being the bread of life. And he, uh, He's talking to some believers in the group, but there's also the... Um, uh, Jewish people there who they just haven't come to a place of faith in him. They're questioning 
They're doubting. They've seen the miracles, but they want more. And um, let me read you from verse 48. Uh, Jesus, in the middle of this middle of this um, uh, uh, message to them, he says, "I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died." Uh, this is the bread, speaking of himself, this is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give uh, for, sorry, uh, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, the Jews there had uh, basically saying to Christ, well, you know, Moses gave the children of Israel bread to eat. The whole nation got bread. And Jesus had fed the, the 5,000, but they want, they want to see a, a miracle where Jesus feeds the whole nation with bread. And they have other expectations that are more physical expectations for the nation. But, but Jesus turns to him and says, I am the bread of life. And so that feeding of the children of Israel back in the Old Testament as they're there in the wilderness, God gave them manna. That manna, it ultimately pictured the provision that God would make in Christ. He provided for them this food in the wilderness, but God was going to provide the Lord Jesus Christ to be the bread of life. And the bread that the children of Israel ate in the wilderness, it didn't save them. It didn't make them right with God. But it, could, it should have caused them to, to, to appreciate what God was doing for them, to appreciate His provision, to love Him, to trust Him. And the Lord gave... Um, before he was crucified, he gave up this, this uh, memorial of the bread and, and the juice to his disciples. And it would, it would become a, a, a reminder of what Christ had done. So in the Old Testament, manna looked forward to what Christ would do. And the New Testament uh, Lord's table or the communion looked back to what Christ did. And so just like the manna in the Old Testament didn't save the children of Israel, uh, this bread doesn't save us just because we eat it. But it should cause us to appreciate the provision that was made for us in Christ. We should be able to rejoice in remembering what Christ did for us as His, as his children. Those of us that put our faith and trust in Him, we know what He's done for us, in forgiving us and saving us. And so as we, we receive this today, uh, it, it's, it's this reminder. We can celebrate what Christ did and what it means for us. So let's, let's just take a moment to pray and to ask God to, um, to prepare our hearts. And the Lord does want us to have hearts that are prepared to worship Him in this way. And so, Father, we, we come before You uh, this morning Acknowledging, Father, that, uh, that we fail you, we sin against you, and that uh, we, uh, even maybe this morning, 
have, have sinned against you by uh, things that we've done or said or thought. And Lord, we may be harbor, harboring things in our heart this morning that need to be confessed, need to be repented of and turned from. And so Father, I pray that you would forgive us as a people that are, uh, are not worthy of, um, of you, but by your grace, Father, you have uh, saved us and you've forgiven us and you've made us worthy because we're in Christ. And so we can partake of this bread and this um, juice as a, as a reminder of what you've done for us. And we can rejoice in it, not because we deserved it, not because you looked at us and saw that we were a good people, but because of your grace. And so we thank you for that and we praise you for that. And, in Jesus' name, amen.